So just got done uh, raking a half acre of leaves yesterday. We're known as the half acre rakers. And uh, woke up this morning and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? <laughs> I'm like, what, what happened? I'm so sore, but it looks the same. And the, but the cup is half full, as Chip pointed out, that you have, you know, you would have had twice as many leaves. And so, thank you, Chip, for that. Yes. They've caught the fire I lit in my backyard. <laughs> Verse 23, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, hey, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And so, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. I'm sorry. Uh, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Cut and paste. Gotta love it. If you would really quickly turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. That's the second book uh, in the Bible. Genesis, Exodus. Uh, 20, chapter 20, verse 8. It says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your sons, nor your daughters, nor your manservants, nor your maidservants, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the seas and all that is in them, but rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The Sabbath was one day each week that the Israelites were to cease from their work and to rest and to worship God. The Sabbath day. How serious was this for the Jews to keep the Sabbath? How serious was it? If you flip right to chapter 30, Exodus chapter 30, come on now. Bible drill. By the way, the Bible is in the fuse. Again, if you do not have a Bible, go ahead and take one home. Write your name on it. It's right there. It's for you. And make sure you give Byron a hard time next week when he's here about the little ones. <clears throat> Chapter 31, verse 12. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, You must observe my Sabbath. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come, so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Observe my Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it must be put to death. Whoever does not work, I'm sorry, whoever does work any day that day must be cut off from his people. For six days the work is to be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day must be put to death. And the Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for generations to come. Celebrating it. Interesting word there. 
not observing, celebrating it. I love that. The Israelites were to celebrate it. Celebrate it for generations to come as a lasting covenant, a mandatory vacation day. It will be sign, it will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he abstained from work and rested. Now, there's a deep, beautiful theology that runs all the way through the Bible here that um, I really don't have time to get into. But I just want to continue on to, in the cultural setting that Jesus is in, how important this day was to the Jews. It was the Sabbath, and it was to be kept holy. It was a sign between God and the Jews. It was serious. It was the center of Jewish identity. You kept the Sabbath if you were a Jew. If you messed with the day... You were stoned with rocks, right? Not a, good, not a good situation. And they said to Jesus, these Pharisees, the legalists of the day, the guys who kept the law, who studied it meticulously, they said to him, look, why are your disciples doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath day? What were they doing? What were they doing that was unlawful? They were working. Really? Harvesting? They're walking through grabbing grains of wheat. Now, if you're like me, you're going, what is so unlawful about this? You know, I read the Ten Commandments, and you're reading through Leviticus and all these uh, civil and ceremonial laws and all this type of stuff. And you see that within those laws, God gives leeway. He says, guess what? You farmers, when you're farming your fields and all that stuff, leave the, leave the corners. Leave the corners for the widow, for the person who doesn't have a job. Leave it there. Don't get greedy. Just leave the corners. And if you're, if you're harvesting and you drop some stuff, leave that. Let it be for the alien or whoever's coming through to come through and, and be able to make a living, work, and, and grab some stuff. Don't, don't do it. Just leave it. That was their system. But the idea here is that they're doing this on the Sabbath. They're picking up. So it wasn't wrong to walk through someone's grain field and, and grab some grain in that day. Obviously, you don't take a sickle and start going after it, right? I mean, the shotguns are clicking, right? We don't do that. But as they were walking through the fields, they were just taking heads of wheat and rubbing it together. But the Pharisees, they were legalists, and they went beyond the written law, the Ten Commandments, and the ceremonial and civil laws. They found in Scripture, and they created something called the oral law, the traditions. And the rabbis, uh, this oral tradition can be found in Hebrew writings such as the Talmud, okay? Extra books outside of this that they held in the same, with the same weight as the Scriptures. That can be dangerous. That is dangerous. How many people do you have, how many people that you know uh, let's say just you have a you have a, a favorite a favorite uh, author that's a Christian writer or favorite theologian or or someone who just you know, speaks to you totally and just like wow that's great and how easy it is for us to place the same weight when they're talking about the things of God as as the actual word of God upon their books there's a difference inspired. You know, obviously inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is the closed canon of the Bible. No more adding, no more subtracting. It's done. Now the Lord uses people and he speaks through us and all these types of things, but it is not the written word of God. And 
how easy it is for us to start adding things because we're trying to explain stuff. Just to add a little bit. Just to, to make it. And then all of a sudden, that, that thing that seemed like a good idea becomes a law in our minds or a tradition or something that we do. And then we turn around and, we, and someone who doesn't do that, we start going, hey, why aren't you doing it? It's like, what? The Bible doesn't say anything about that. Well, this is our tradition. This is how we hold to it. So get in line. You see what's happening here? And the Pharisees took that to a super extreme. Now, are traditions bad? No, actually, Paul talks to Timothy. He says, keep the traditions I told you. Hold to them. Hold fast. Traditions aren't necessarily bad. But we've got to be careful that the traditions don't become the thing that we're after. What is God saying and his word saying? Not what I've always done. And as we continue forward here, the Pharisees were legalists. They went beyond. They had the Talmud. And if you're in a, rele- a legal relationship with God, everybody listen up real quickly. If you're in a legal relationship with God, a list of do's and don'ts, you're going to need to work out a lot of details. Any of you had done business contracts before? Legal is very important. You look at the ballot that you were talking about that we just voted on, you look at the wording. That wording was argued over and fought over on, on what words would be placed in what position so that it would have influence upon what we'd say. When you're in a, a legal relationship with God, you know, you have to work out a lot of details. The Sabbath is to be kept holy, and you're not to do any work. Well, what does work mean? You see? When you're in a legal relationship, you're asking, well, what does work mean? Well, you know, can I do this or can I do that on this day? What does work mean? You know, and when we're in a legal relationship with God, we always ask, we always ask, what can I get away with? Amen? Amen. Any of you come up to a situation where you're, you're, you're arguing with something about God or whatever, and you're asking yourselves, what can I get away with? I find this often when I, you know, when you have a, a, a spouse that's not getting along with another spouse and they're bordering on, you know, some, some really heavy issues, maybe separation stuff. They start asking the pastor, you know, hey, what are, what are my options here? It becomes a legal relationship. What am I bound to? What are my obligations? Is that what God is after? Just want to ask you. Is that what God's after? Is he after the legal relationship? When we're in a love relationship, instead of asking the list of do's and don'ts, we ask, is this pleasing to you, Lord? Does this please you? And as you get to know someone, you find out what pleases them and what doesn't please them, correct? And that's the relationship that the Lord is desiring. As we walk in our daily life, we ask him, hey, Lord, this is a situation. It's not a matter of you know, right or wrong. Sometimes it's a matter of, is this pleasing to you, what your word says? Obviously, do not murder. We know that's wrong. Okay, I'm not saying there is no right or wrong. But when you're coming to a situation of, you know, what does work constitute? You know, the Bible doesn't lay it all out. But what's the heart of it? What is the matter? What is God's heart in the situation? And we should know him as we're hanging around other believers, as we are in his word, as we're praying, and as the Holy Spirit fills us, we begin to know his heart. We begin to see, oh, yeah, no, that, that's not what my father would do. Or, yeah, that's what he would do. And I want to reflect that. I want to resemble that in this situation. So 
the Pharisees had a legal relationship with God. And through that lens that they were walking around with, this legal lens, what did they do? They accused the disciples of doing what was unlawful on the Sabbath. Unlawful according to the law? No. Unlawful according to their law? Their interpretations of it? Yes. And so in the Talmud, in the Mishnah, Tractate Shabbat uh, 7.2, that's just saying like a book of the Bible. Get up here. Get out of here. It. Sorry. Demon's out. His command for us, uh, uh, in, this, in this book of the Talmud, the ancient rabbis looked at the commandment, and they said, well, what does constitute work? And they, so they started to hash this out. And they saw the parallel in the command that's, that was between creation and work, and says, okay, seven days of creation, and then they stop. Therefore, anything that's creative has to stop on the seventh day. And they associated that work of creation with the building of the tabernacle, okay? I know this is getting a little bit kind of deep, but, but they saw that parallel. And so there's 39 categories that have to do with work. If you could flip that up there for a second. I know it's a little small font, but uh, trying to get them all on there. Here's some categories that you are not allowed to do according to the oral traditions on the Sabbath. No sowing, no plowing, no reaping, binding sheaves, threshing, winnowing, selecting, no grinding, sifting, kneading, baking, you know, obviously, no shearing wool, you know, making leather curtains, you know, all that stuff. Sorry, ladies, you can't tan, no tanning. Guys, no scraping carcasses, sorry about that. You cannot tie a knot. You cannot untie a knot. Can you flip to the next slide? Making the beams. There's no writing or erasing. You cannot write one letter. You cannot write more than one letter. And you cannot erase a letter. You cannot set anything up or tear it down. Building a breaking. You can't extinguish a fire. You cannot kindle a fire. Striking the final hammer. You can't, you know, blow the horn. You can't carry anything. So this is, these guys, left to their own worldly devices, decided to say, define what is work. All these things you must abstain from. And so, how do you like to be in that world? That's the Jewish world. And so you had these superheroes called Pharisees walking around who observed and held to these traditions, to the T. Paul said he was one of them, and he actually exceeded in everything he said. That's pretty crazy. And, you know, and just to let you know, it extends to this very day, this very day. Orthodox Jews, they, they hold to this. I was in Israel, and, you know, I told you about the elevator. The reason why they have an elevator that goes on automatic is so that no one will push a button. Because if you push a button, that's kindling a fire because there's a spark. And that constitutes a, sp- a spark. You can't plug something into the wall because if you plug something into the wall... That becomes building, becomes, it's a part of a building. And if you unplug it, it becomes d- just demolition because you're taking apart the building. So you get in, the, get in the mind of the Pharisees now? Are we getting a little better idea of who these guys are? And why Jesus is, is they're constantly combating Jesus, who's not holding to the traditional, you know, oral laws? You ever been around a legalist? How fun is that? 
why are you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Hey, you got to do this, don't you know? And it's like, what? So they had all these interesting little subcategories that they had to do. And if we flip back up, the Pharisees, who were strict observers of both the written and oral, oral traditions, uh, they pegged the disciples on being in violation of, you know, number three, five, and seven there in, in, in section one. You know, reaping, uh, threshing, and winnowing. They were reaping. They were, they, they, you know, they were winnowing, actually reaping and winnowing, basically. They were separating the wheat from the chaff, and then they were selecting their pop it in their mouth or whatever. Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Boy, they're grasping at straws to get Jesus, aren't they? And then Jesus knows how to hit them where it counts. He says, have you never read, in verse 25 of our text, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and need? First of all, how do you think someone's going to react to who is a strict observer of the law and you say, have you never read? Okay. Have you never read? When the day that David and his cam- companions came, verse 26, in the days of um, Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for only the priest to eat. Then he also gave some to his companions. There's the showbread. Jesus knows how to hit him. He knows what he's doing. Have you ever read? It's your own law. It's your own stories. You've never read this? You've never seen this? He goes in and says, and, 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 and David's on the run basically from Saul, and he's going, hey, my guys, we need some food. And, and the priest says, we got, we've got nothing except for the showbread, the holy sacred bread. And he goes, I'll take that. And he goes, all right, you can have it. And the priest gives him the bread which was only to be for priests. And Jesus brings this up as an example where the law is broken. You know, the bread, the show bread. You know, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. It's very historical. Uh, You know, back when they were in the wilderness, uh, the God gave them manna and all this type of stuff. It's just, it's a picture of Christ. But the show bread, it was sacred. It was in the the, uh, temple. It was in the tabernacle back then. The showbread was dedicated to the Lord. And the priests didn't have any good food, and so they gave it to, to, to uh, David and his companions to eat. And so in typical Jesus style, he creates a problem for the Pharisees. How come, how come Jesus got away from this, Pharisees? How come he got away with this? Well, in Matthew's account of this, Jesus adds another verse. I think it's very important. Matthew 12, 7, I'm going to read it to you. And the same thing, he says, if you had known, speaking to the Pharisees, if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. David got away with eating the bread because there was a higher law at work, the law of love, the law of mercy. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You want a legal relationship with God, you've got problems. You want a love relationship with the Lord, He has mercy. He loves to give mercy to us. The laws of God are never meant to keep us from doing good. They're never meant to withhold us from doing good. That's not the heart of God. Jesus comes in Matthew 5 through 7, and I encourage you to read it almost every single week, don't I? How many of you take advantage of reading Matthew 5 through 7? 
Bah. Sheep. <laughs> I love you. Read Matthew 5 through 7. Because Jesus takes the law and he starts going, this is what it really means. This is the heart of it. We don't want to walk in this legal relationship with God. We can't handle it. It's shown. Jesus says that the law was shown. I mean, Paul says that. He says the law was given so as a schoolmaster to show us we can't keep it. We're doomed. We need a savior. And these Pharisees were walking around and think they had it. They had a self-righteousness. They had a legal relationship with God that actually fell short. And if you read Matthew 5 through 7, you'll see how far short they fell. Because Jesus says in that, he says, if you're if you, your, your righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Unless you do that, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. How do you exceed that? You can't. Only Christ can. He fulfilled the law. That's another story. The Pharisees knew God on paper. It was a legal relationship. But if they had really known him, they would know that he is merciful. That's why David said, okay, it's all right. That's why it's okay for his disciples to, to glean in the fields. Because God is God of mercy. He loves you. In verse 27, Jesus says, and by the way, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, you guys don't even know the real meaning of it. You're walking around and thinking you, you're teachers of the law. You have no idea what you're talking about. You think that this day was created for man to follow it. No, it was created for man. It was created to be a blessing for man. It was instituted for you. You weren't made for it. It's a blessing for you. And then Jesus ends the conversation with the proclamation. And even so, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Check this out. I am the one who rested from creating on the seventh day. I am the one who rested from, cre- uh, from creation on the seventh day. I am the Lord even of the Sabbath. All things were created by him and for him, through him. He was there. He's saying, guess what? I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I call the shots here. My disciples are walking with me. It's all good. It's a beautiful thing. Are we walking with Jesus or are we in a, in a, a legalistic relationship with God? Very important. Chapter 5, verse uh, uh, 1. And another time, Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. And some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. And so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. Verse 5, He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched out his hand and was completely restored. What day is it? It's the Sabbath day again. And Jesus comes to the synagogue, and there's a man with a shriveled hand. The Pharisees watched him to see if Jesus would violate their warped traditions of the Sabbath. They're watching him closely. They just know he's going to go heal that guy. Let's just get him on this one. According to their interpretation of the law, it was illegal. To heal on the Sabbath. Illegal to heal on the Sabbath. You could save a life. You could apply a tourniquet to someone and stop the bleeding, but you couldn't put any ointment on it or put a Band-Aid on it or 
you know, do anything loving, you could just stop him from dying. You know, just put a tourniquet on, leave him there going, all right, you're cool till tomorrow? All right, we're good. What is that? If you're like that, knock that off. You know? Notice, they were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. They were watching him closely. I have no doubt they saw this guy walk. They're looking around the cloud. What kind of situation? We know Jesus is, is going to be here. What kind of situation? Uh, whoa, there, see that guy? That's, oh, 9 o'clock, guy with the shriveled hand. You know? And they're all looking and they're going, that's our guy. That's our guy. There's no way that he's not going to heal this guy. There is absolutely no way this guy's not going to. We got him. He's not. And you know what? Everybody's going to see it, and they're going to see that he doesn't keep the law because he heals on the Sabbath. And everybody knows it's not legal to heal on the Sabbath according to our laws. Right? And what happens? They were right. They were absolutely right. Jesus cannot resist ministering to the crippled area in people's lives. He can't help it. He cannot help it. He can't help but going to that area in your life that is lacking, that's hurting, that's crippled. He's deeply moved when he sees human need. He is deeply moved. And some of you might be sitting here this morning thinking, man, I'm, look at all these happy-go-lucky people. What the heck's going on here? I'm so messed up. God would never want to do anything with me and I kind of don't even want him to because I'm so messed up. Guess what? Jesus is expressly concerned about you. You are his focus this morning. You've got his undivided attention. He walks around and says, hurting person, nine o'clock. I'm on it. He loves you. You know, perhaps you're thinking your situation's impossible. Your needs are too great. I've got the situation going on. The needs are too great. Get out of here. Is that a wasp or something? An elder bug. Okay, we're all cool. Let's, let's not focus on the elders. Elder bug. I mean, elder bug. Your needs are too great, you know. He's Lord over the problems. With a word, he can change your life. If you're hurting this morning, you know, if you're stuck, if you're addicted, if you're angry, if you're depressed, whatever it is that's been plaguing you your whole life, there's hope. Jesus is here, and in a moment we're going to see how he heals. And the Pharisees knew this about Jesus. He can't help but heal a man in his condition. And Jesus saw that man with a withered hand and said to him, Stand up. Get out in the open with it. Stand up. That might have been a little bit embarrassing, don't you think? He was exposed for what was really going on. Stand up. And then Jesus asked them two questions, being everybody in the room. He asked them two questions, mainly aimed at the Pharisees and the people who followed him. The first, is it lawful to do, do, to do good 
or evil on the Sabbath day? What's the answer? Obviously, to do good. Jesus had them trapped. The wisdom, they exceed Solomon's wisdom. Second question, is it lawful to heal or to kill? I want to talk about laws. Let's talk about these laws, Jesus is saying. Good or evil? Heal or to kill? Obviously, to heal. It's never legal to murder. And the Pharisees can't answer Jesus. They're just quiet. No doubt they're stewing and upset. And Jesus looked upon them with anger. He looked at them with anger. Why? This is very important. Everybody listen to this. Because their religious traditions would keep this man from experiencing the power of God in his life. Their religious traditions would keep this man from experiencing the, the power and the work of God in his life. They'd keep him from the work that God wanted to do because it was not according to the way that they did business. Their theological positions. Just for fun, I was going to, but I decided not to. I was going to have the pulpit gone and that thing gone this morning and just have a stand in here. Just for fun, but I decided not to. Because <laughs> it probably wouldn't have been fun. Because I know how important certain things are to us. But let me just throw out a hypothetical situation. What if, and I know this is totally surfacy and, and we're all kind of past this, right? But what if the reason maybe some younger people wouldn't come in here is because it's a little stuffy, a little traditional? There's nothing wrong with tradition, is there? When, when many of you look at the pulpit here, what do you think of? The things that God has done, the things he's brought you from. You know, the White Temple Baptist, the, the good things that God's done. And these things are a reminder to many of you for these things. But if traditions ever get in the way of us doing what God is calling us to do, the traditions have to move to the side. Does that make sense? We're not moving anything. <laughs> but do you get the heart? I wanted, to, I wanted to give an illustration that would kind of bug people, right? Does that kind of make, make sense? Okay, then next week, where you're sitting is forbidden. Okay? Not one seat over to the left. Perhaps the things that we've always done are keeping us from meeting the people God wants us to meet, from ministering to the people we've, we want to minister to, we need to minister to. I'm looking at new faces in here. And I'm looking at the same faces sitting in the same spot. And they don't know where to sit. Why don't you permanently have our seat? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a nomad in this land. This is not my home. That's not my seat. You know what I'm saying? The petty things. Christmas. Hey, you know what? The elders and I were praying. We're not going to observe Christmas anymore. What were you guys eating, you know? No, I'm just, this is a this, the whole hypothetical joking situation, right? Please, I don't want to get bombs, I, you know? <laughs> it's like, no, I, we're not going to do that. <laughs> what about, you know, this year we're not going to observe Easter. 
What? It's the day that the Lord was resurrected. Yes, but it's not in here to observe. Is it? Where does it say that on the second full moon of whatever it is on that month, that you must have a Sunday dedicated to the resurrection of Christ? December 25th is not when Jesus was born. Sorry. The early Romans, you know, I don't want to get into this too much. Got little kids in here, okay? But do you see what I'm saying? How easy it is to take traditions and to put them in the place of the Word of God. We're not bound to it. We're not bound to it. But we choose to, and we hold it with a light, lightly in our hands. So if someone comes along, and if that's going to be a situation where it's going to you know, bug someone, we can easily give it up. The things we don't let go of, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We live in the resurrection every single day. We celebrate Jesus is risen every day I get up. That's the power that we live in. Not once a year. Jesus incarnate in the flesh. I celebrate that every day of my life. Thank you for coming here. For living and dying. It's good to focus on these things. It's good to have a time for remembering. But as far as I'm concerned, the only two things that God asked us to observe, as far as traditions are concerned, are communion. He says, and he even takes that lightly. He says, as often as you do that, do it in remembrance of me. And the second thing, be baptized. We look at those things. You know, when the guys were going down and the church was happening in a place that wasn't, uh, that wasn't Jewish and there were some things going on that were kind of different, they sent it back up to the council. And the council said, you know, uh, I just want you guys, you guys don't have to keep all the law and everything. You're under Christ." Just don't eat stuff that's been sacrificed to idols. You know, meat that's been strangled. Just love the Lord. Love each other. They didn't put a whole bunch of laws on them. Got to be careful in these situations. We don't want to be Pharisees. We want to be like Jesus. Following the Spirit. Loving one another. Yes, there's right and there's wrong. But that's based upon what He says and based upon the God that we know as we walk with Him. The Pharisees, you know, they can't answer Him. And this is the closing part, right? Here we go. Jesus said to the man, verse 5, Stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand. After he had just asked those questions. Notice that Jesus asked the man an impossible task. He asked him to do something that was impossible No doubt this guy had been trying all his life to stretch out his hand. Don't you think? Stretch out your hand. Jesus gets up there and says, Stand up in front of everybody and stretch out your hand. That's embarrassing. Stretch out your hand. And this guy knew that it was impossible what Jesus told him to do, right? And so the man had a choice. The man had a choice. He could either argue with Jesus and tell him that he can't tell him, you know, that he can't, I can't stretch out my hand, Jesus. Didn't you see what's going on? And he can go into a tirade about how many times before he's tried it and the trauma that he had as a child and why he can't do what he's doing. He could have this dialogue of arguing, or he can choose to obey. Choose to obey Jesus and stretch out his hand. 
Two options. One, argue, go into a mental knot, go way back when and try to figure out what in the world happened then. Or you can just choose to obey Jesus. He chose to obey, and immediately his hand became whole, just like the other. In the very moment, this is a very important principle for you to know, for us to dwell upon, the very moment that we choose to obey the command of Christ, in that very moment, he's going to give us everything necessary to obey. He will give us the power to do what he says to do. It's not up to us. But he commands us to do it. When he says it, he will provide the power for you to do it. No matter how impossible it is in your head, you have to will to obey. Surrender that pride, that will. Say, yes, I choose to obey in this impossible situation. You know, we'd much rather talk about the hand that's working, don't you think? God, look at this hand. It works wonderfully, you know? Look at it. How it's wor- and he, Jesus isn't concerned with the hand that's working as much as he's concerned with the hand that's wounded, the area in your life that is not working, the area that's broken and needs fixing and needs his touch. That's what he's focused on in here this morning. That's what he's focused on in your lives, every single one of you. He's focused on that area of need. As God faces that area in our lives, the areas of impossibility, that addiction, that anger, that temper, the ungodly relationship, the area that keeps us defeated and that is blocking a healthy relationship with the Lord. Whatever it is, God will ask you to do something that in yourself seems impossible. Physically, emotionally, whatever it is, He's going to ask you to do something that seems impossible. Give it up. But I can't. I'm too attached. Blah, 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 blah. Break it off. Tell your parents. Give it all away. Stop doing that. Whatever he says. And at that moment, we have a choice. We have a choice. We can argue with the Lord. You know, that's the way it's always been. Or the doctor said this or that. Or you can choose to obey Jesus. Stretch out your hand. I want to walk in faith. Stretch out my hand, you know. Will to obey the voice of the Lord. Surrender. Just obey. You know, he commands all of us to love one another. He will give us the power to love one another. He commands all of us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's willing to fill us with the Holy Spirit. He commands all of us to share the gospel and make disciples. How many of you feel like that's a withered hand in your life? You feel like, I just can't do it. I can't share my faith. I, I, you know, I just, I, 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 I. You know what? God will supply what you need in order for you to obey what he wants you to do. Share your faith. How do you do it? You open your mouth and start speaking, and God will give you the words to say. Amen? All right. Stretch out that withered hand. In verse 7, he stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, You are everything. You are all in all. And this morning, Father, I pray that we would just take stock in our traditions, Lord, and the things that have always been the way they've always been. And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't see people through a skewed lens and project things upon them that shouldn't be. That we'd walk in grace like you did, Lord. Walk in love. 
And Father, for the areas of these brothers and sisters in my life that are just in deeply need of your healing, God, it's just like I've tried to figure out why for so long, and there's just no solutions, Lord. I just need to trust what you've said and just obey. There's days, Lord, when I just don't feel like getting up. I'm just hurting so badly. But you're always faithful to give me the energy I need to move. I just pray that I'd surrender my will to you. Lord, help your sheep this morning. I love these people. Lord, you love them. Continue to grow them. Continue to minister to their hearts. In the name of Jesus, amen. Just a reminder. Um, let's go ahead and uh, stand up. We don't have time for a closing song. You can play it out on the way out, actually. Let's stand up, please. There's a prayer meeting today from 4 to 5 p.m. We just invite you to be here. I'll open the doors at 3.45. Half hour of corporate prayer, 25 minutes of uh, you know group prayer in groups. So it's time to pray. It's time to seek the Lord. Time to stretch your hand out and obey, okay? And verse 6. Then the Pharisees went out and rejoiced at the work of God. (laughs) Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Legalism kills. Love gives life. Have a blessed day. Love you guys. You need prayer. Back left room, okay? Back left room. Take care.